the best rugby insight and analysis. OTB Sports Rugby. How, how would you argue if Johnny Sexton was to go and win a World Cup with Ireland and lead them to it that he wouldn't be the greatest? Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Now then, you're welcome, Max. We're going to turn to boxing. It looks like it's happening. Last week, Tyson Fury uh, then retired, threw down the gauntlet, and Fury was offering uh, 60-40 per split. And today, Anthony Joshua's management team announced the terms have been accepted. So I always seem to be a kind of sale-agreed stage. Contracts to be signed, uh, more minor details to be ironed out. Uh, despite his retirement uh, not so long ago, Fury remains the WBC heavyweight champion. The date being talked about December 3rd, O2 Arena. And very happy to say, Gavin Casey from The 42 is with us. Good evening. Hey, Joe, how are you? Yeah, very well. So this fight's been talked about for a very long time and then all of a sudden it's happening. Is it? <laughs> is it not? It certainly has been spoken about for a very long time. I feel as though we have been at that stage or this stage in the past where you'd be it would be folly to get too excited. I think... Um, I mean, it's easy to forget, I suppose, that as far back as June 2020, both parties had famously agreed terms on the fight with the help of a brilliant power broker in Daniel Kinahan. And they said it was impossible until Kinahan got involved. And as it transpired, it remained impossible for over two years. And we're back at a similar juncture now. Um, it sort of reminds me a little bit, Joe, of the episode of Friends where Phoebe finds out that Chandler and Monica are seeing each other and she decides to sort of play a trick on them and they wind up calling each other's bluff uh, to such an extent that they meet in the middle and, and wind up locking locking lips even though they don't want to. And I, I kind of feel as though both sides are calling each other's bluff and neither wants to be the side to back out. And the funny thing is it might actually result in the fight happening, which would be kind of spectacular in a way. It might not even happen in the way that they would have imagined it happening, but it feels as though they're bluffing into bluffing each other into taking the fight, and maybe the fans in the end will be the winners. Who knows? So, what's the point of Fury initiating that bluff last week? I would have thought at the time that if he was to back Joshua into a corner to the point that Joshua or his representatives, be it Eddie Hearn, be it Two Five Eight, his management team, would have to say no to the fight that it would excuse Fury for taking a far easier fight against the likes of Emmanuel Char, who would have been mooted as a potential comeback opponent. And I say comeback, quote unquote, because he was retired for all of, what, five minutes. But it was kind of, I thought the intention was to make Joshua look ostensibly like a coward, and that would pave the way for Fury just to take an easy defense and, and ease back into his reign as heavyweight kingpin with uh, an undisputed clash against Alexander Usyk in mind, probably two fights further down the line. So uh, I don't know that they were anticipating that Joshua would acquiesce to some degree or or attempt to meet them in the middle to some degree. And that's what I mean. This I do think now both sides are trying to call each other's bluff. And I'm not saying that neither fighter wants the fight. It's just that the conditions probably aren't necessarily optimal or not especially what Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, Joshua would have dreamt of in the past where it would have been a fight for all of the belts. If they were to take it now, it would be a fight in which Joshua, were he to lose, would be pretty much done for as a serious entity in the heavyweight division. And there is a path back towards a Fury fight for him, which would probably make them more money in the long run, would actually allow Joshua to build his confidence again. Um, but I feel as though for all of the reasons for them not to take it 
to to turn it down now uh, would be such a black eye that they might feel inclined to just take it and just see what happens, roll the dice. Uh, Joshua couldn't be, I, like, people question Joshua's boxing CV. I look at the opponents he's facing, and I think it's almost as good as Fury's, really. He's never really shirked a challenge. He just hasn't managed to get a fight over the line with Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury in that triangle of heavyweights who've ruled the division for the last five or six years before Usyk kind of encouraged into it. Um, and it may be that they just do it. And, and it would, I, I, at the same time, they could take it a step further. This fight could be confirmed. We could see posters and we could get television dates, all of these sort of, sorts of complications that need to be ironed out. And I still probably wouldn't believe it until I saw them actually trading leather on some Saturday night in December or early 2022 or whenever it might be. Yeah. So to remind people where they both are, Fury's retired, still WBC champion. He's retired and unretired several times. There was talk of a trilogy fight against Derek Chisora at one stage, which was uh, all kinds of odd. And then he uh, firmly retired last month again on his 34th birthday before throwing this challenge out to Joshua on social media last week. Joshua, as we know, uh, very recently lost for the second time to Alexander Usyk, his second defeat in a row. I was listening to Johnny Nelson talking about Joshua and where he is in his career at this point. And he was wondering if, you know, perhaps for Joshua at this stage, motivation is a bit of an issue and that Fury is maybe one of the few fighters who can really get him up for it again. Because certainly against Usyk, it would seem that Joshua was uh, very much forced to confront the fact that he's not the main man in this division. And maybe the thought of this slow rebuild that you're talking about, he could do it, but it must feel a touch grim given where he's been. And so maybe he's thinking, what the hell, all or nothing. Maybe I'm not going to be around all that much longer. And this is the ultimate carrot. I mean, if I pull this off, I'm back in the big time like nobody's business. And (laughs) there's a degree of shot to nothing maybe for Joshua at this point in his career. Yeah, I think it's a really fair point. Uh, Even though I personally feel as though that path back towards... uh, a fight for, say, all the marbles against the winner of Fury Usyk, if that was to ever materialise, isn't a long path. It probably is only two fights that Joshua would take in the interim. He has a lot going on in his life. He has plenty of responsibilities, business, family, otherwise. He has been boxing for objectively a long time, really, when you consider like he exploded into mainstream consciousness 10 years ago now as uh, an Olympic champion, like he'd fought in the Worlds the year before that. When you're 240, 250 pounds and you're punching people in the face and getting punched in the face, it probably feels a lot longer than even if you're at a lighter weight. And maybe he doesn't feel as though that more protracted confidence building process to which I allude is especially uh, palatable for him. And on the face of it as well, like those two defeats to Usyk, particularly the most recent one, he acquitted himself quite well. I think there's a strong case to be made that it was actually his best boxing performance against Usyk, even though I felt as though Usyk was a clear victor. So as much as, yes, he's walking away with the second defeat in a row and he's lost three of his last five fights going back as far as 2019, to some degree he's in form, as weird as that sounds, in the sense that he performed a lot better against Usyk the second time around than I would have anticipated, than a lot of people would have anticipated based on what we'd seen of that first fight. And Usyk is a legitimately great heavyweight. Now, I think we can accept that, or at least he looks like he's going to become one. So maybe that element of building confidence isn't a requisite necessarily. And it is just a case of, as you say, or as Johnny Nelson put it, having that carrot dangled in front of you that 
that that fight that you've probably dreamt of and thought about more so than any other over the course of your professional career, an all-British clash for what would be seen as heavyweight supremacy even if Usyk's belts weren't on the line. Look, there will be no greater motivating fight for Joshua as long as he does continue to box. So, and, and I really don't, I probably don't necessarily view it exactly as Nelson does in terms of Joshua finding it difficult to motivate himself or falling short in that fund. I think it's more or less, uh, he has a lot of distractions as well. Mm. A lot of things going on, uh, again, business-wise uh, in his life where as somebody who follows the sport and understands that guys at the very top, men and women, need to have an almost sociopathic dedication towards it. Seeing Joshua's other interests has concerned me for several years because I kind of feel as though he can put in like a 100% training camp, as in training nonstop, whatever, but those distractions will always hold you back to some degree, even if it just gives you a bigger perspective on life or, or opens your eyes to the bigger picture. That can actually be quite a dangerous thing for a, a boxer to experience when they're in the throes of their career because you might start to question what the hell you're doing being punched in the face when you have a kid at home, etc. So look, if it was, if it was to materialise and if it was to be uh, an all British fight for all of the belts, you know, like if I suppose if you were to put yourself in Joshua's shoes, or if I was too, or any of the listeners, it's a difficult place to be. Firstly, but are you going to turn it down? Are you, as the protagonist in this uh, situation, going to think to yourself, "Oh no, I, I need more time to rebuild myself"? Probably not. If somebody's throwing down the gauntlet to you and there's actual paperwork on the table you're going to be grabbing a pen as soon as possible and just look to get it done and, and back yourself ultimately. Mm. And were it to happen, and, and increasingly I've been listening to you, I listen to you, I don't think it is going to happen anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> were it to happen, to what extent would you make Fury very, very, very firm favourite? Uh, well, I mean, it, tough to quantify. I, I'm not going to spit out bookies odds because I don't have the maths, but I, I will say that uh, I've always believed that if Joshua and Fury fought each other 10 times, Fury would, would probably win all 10 of them. I, I wouldn't even necessarily see Joshua winning one. That might sound extreme, and it might sound as though I'm disparaging Joshua's boxing ability. I'm really not. I think he's an excellent fighter. I actually think he's an underrated fighter, despite the fact that he's on a, a shaky run of form in terms of results, and despite the fact that absolutely his ability has been... Um, from the promotional side of things inflated and, and almost ran down people's throats this sense that he was a, a nuclear puncher for the early stage of his stages of his career when in reality he was only being matched to make him look like one i still feel as though he's hung with some of the very best in his division and uh it's just that fury is the best in his division and great beats very good okay let's call it nine times out of ten i think stylistically that sort of uh trend would be accentuated between these two in that I just think Fury beats him every single day of the week. I think he's mentally stronger. He's far more sure of himself. Uh, nearly everything he does is better. And he also hits pretty hard, which is something we wouldn't have associated with Fury in the early stages of his career. But we've seen against Wilder now. When he lands flush, he's just a huge man. There's mm. going to be torque behind it. Mm. We know Josh was a little bit shaky. So yeah, 10 out of 10, I, I would pick Fury every time. Another story we wanted to get your thoughts on. So Conor Ben, son of Nigel, is fighting Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, sons, obviously, of uh, Nigel and, and Senior, who had these two epic fights in the early 90s. O2 Arena 
8th of October there was like a Zoom press conference call yesterday and all was uh, moving along very nicely Conor Ben is moving up a weight division Eubank Jr who has fought at super middleweight which is 168 pounds is moving down to 157 potentially and Chris Eubank Sr uh, in the Zoom call to the media said that uh, this fight is not going ahead at that weight so he said my son's a warrior He'll fight anyone, but I told him you cannot go beneath 160 and he's gone down to 157. It cannot happen. That is called suicide. I don't do that to my son. I'm not putting him in that field. I'm managing my son's career, irrespective of what he has said, irrespective of what he has written down and signed. It can't happen. And then he referenced his uh, late son, Sebastian, who at 29 years of age had a pre-existing heart condition that uh, wasn't known about and he died in Dubai uh, watching a sunset according to his uh, wife and he said we have to be strict this is Eubank Senior again we have to be strict otherwise lives are put in danger my son's life cannot be put in danger I've already lost one it can't happen again and Nigel Ben who was on this call as well turned to Eubank Senior and said so you're putting your foot down saying to your son at 32 years of old at 32 years old this fight's not happening and Eubank Senior said absolutely um, sorry to give you the whole transcript there, but we couldn't find uh, footage of all this. So it sounded like uh, very genuine on Senior's part. We had a tweet in from Packy Collins saying, lads, <laughs> this is all just mind games. Don't uh, put much stock in this. What's your read and what's going on here? Initially, when I saw tweets about it, because I wasn't on the Zoom call, I was off. And I just saw that, well, the vague sense I got online was that Chris Eubank Sr. was interfering with the fight. And I thought, okay, that's not atypical of Chris Eubank Sr. And of course, there could be an element of trying to drive up the price a little bit, even though everything has been agreed, kind of saying, you know what, no, you could pay us more, or even just an element of playing mind games with the Ben Camp. But it was the more I thought of it. And, the, and when I realized, of course, what had happened with Sebastian Eubank last year and the fact that his anniversary had only been last month, I actually took it at face value and, and in fairness to Eubank and when you read out the transcript there like everything he says uh, well his concerns about a fighter making weight and his concerns around the dangers of the sport are typically very sincere because he's been I'm going to say on the wrong end of it in that he's inflicted damage on on a fighter in the past which has uh, irreparably affected that fighter's life in Michael Watson and uh, so with the benefit of having breathed in for 24 hours and sort of consumed a little bit more of it and, and read some of the reaction to it, I, I take it at face value ultimately, mm. Joe. I, I do believe, though, that the fight is going to go ahead, and that's because Chris Eubank Jr. is a 32-year-old man and will make his own decisions ultimately. I know that his trainer has come out today and said he's perfectly on weight, making one fight 157 shouldn't be an issue for him. He can make weight at 160 while having three meals a day um look uh, you're not i suppose i'm not behind the scenes i don't know the extent to which that is true but certainly i would have always had concerns about somebody dropping even three pounds and and to people at home it might not sound like a lot but because of his age and because his body is so uh accustomed to being either 160 or 168 at, on a fight night uh, to go down to 157 is actually quite severe to my mind i haven't done it <laughs> or at least not since i was a, a lot younger but mm. uh, i would share concerns in the sense that okay like to, to just quickly outline as well what are the dangers we're actually speaking about here like ultimately you cut weight 
in order to try and gain a competitive advantage because the smaller you can make yourself for a weigh-in and the more you can rehydrate in the interim, uh, traditionally, the larger you're going to be than your opponent on a given night, and particularly in Eubank's case when he's fighting a naturally smaller man anyway. Um, that would be true. However, this clause or this cap weight has been brought in because of that very fact, because Eubank is naturally bigger anyway. They want to inhibit him and make it a little bit more difficult for him to rehydrate and also a little bit more difficult to make weight in the first place. But the dangers of actual, actually cutting weight and um, dehydrating yourself, it's not only that you're physically weaker, it's that you're more susceptible to things like brain injury. And that is a very real danger that both uh, Chris Eubank and Nigel Ben, uh, Chris Eubank Sr. and Nigel Ben understand. And much to the same degree, their, their sons both understand it as well. They're both intelligent guys who've been doing this for a fairly long time in their own right. I just understand it from Eubank Sr.'s perspective, uh, his concerns. And equally, I understand why Chris Eubank Jr. will probably go ahead with this fight anyway, because once he feels as though he can make weight, he probably doesn't look at Conor Ben as being a legitimate risk to him or, or uh, a potential brain injury danger in the sense that he probably feels as though I'm just going to get rid of the guy, I'll get business taken care of and we can move on with a lot of money and plenty of fame or infamy. Mm. And the weight def- difference, the size difference between the two men, is it an unusually big one? Yeah, it is, to be honest. As in, if you were to take it as... Um, obviously on the night because of rehydration and, and because Ben will have conditioned himself to come up to the weight it mightn't be as uh, visible as it would be if they were if you were to compare them on previous fight nights where Eubank would have been he would have weighed in at 160 say or 168 but might walk into the ring at 170 plus uh, Connor Ben you know weighs in at 147 so already you're talking about a difference of at least 13 pounds, might walk into the ring at 150-something. Also, Eubank is just a lot taller. When you see them face off with each other, I was actually, I found the difference quite stark. Before I saw that, I probably gave Conor Ben a fairly serious chance of winning this fight because I would typically back a, a younger and hungrier, quote-unquote, fighter in a sort of crossroads fight. But when I actually saw the discrepancy in size, I found it hard to make the case for him. Uh, and for somebody to be coming down one division and somebody to coming up to be coming up one division for the, the two of them to meet in the middle is quite a a rare thing there's a reason why it is rare as well and it's because it doesn't typically go well for the person who's coming up in weight right and we're gonna have to find out if it goes well for connor ben on the night it's yeah. funny we're speaking about it in terms of the risk it poses to chris eubank coming down in weight Conor Ben is moving up 10 pounds in weight to get yes. to 157 and fighting a dangerous man. Interesting. And to, to state the obvious here then, so the, the follow-on question would be, uh, I'm not as au fait, particularly with Conor Ben's career, but if uh, his surname wasn't Ben and Chris wasn't Eubank Jr., given their size differential, I presume not many people would have thought of putting them together in a ring. Nobody would have ever considered it. It, it wouldn't make sense. Like, it is a fight between names... The, the rivalry between the sons is entirely contrived, and I think Eubank Jr. has even alluded to that in some sense, insofar as he said, well, I've been sort of waiting for a rival to come along, and it is because of our family names, but maybe Conor Ben can be that guy. And It is an intriguing fight in that, excuse me, the build-up to it at least is intriguing in so far as both guys are very articulate and actually quite witty. Like I've enjoyed watching them 
uh, riff with each other. Eubank plays the villain extremely well because he's quite articulate and you can see Ben is getting a little bit uh, bewildered because usually he has so much to say than the other person, but he's been put on the back foot a little bit at times by Eubank. Uh, But at the same time, it is a completely contrived, invented rivalry. And if they had been uh, two different individuals, they never would have met in the middle. It wouldn't have made sense. I mean, both of them actually have options on the table at their respective weights. It's just that neither of those options at the moment are as lucrative as meeting each other because of who their dads were. And that's the reality of it. Very interesting. Uh, we're way out of time. Uh, Terry texted in by, by the way to say, Gav, I had cleared the decks for Fury Joshua on December 3rd. I'm devastated. So there you go. You've, you've ruined his plans for December 3rd. We're getting you back on when this fight happens, by the way. You've some explaining to do, but uh, I suspect you may be right. Thanks, Emil. Thanks, Joe. Cheers. Gavin Casey there of the 42. 